everybody, this is Pavel from 100 Conferences. You are listening to 100 Conferences 3TS podcast. Today, Elbrus Ilmas from 3TS and Martin Schelek from Innovation Nest are going to take a closer look at the Polish tech ecosystem. You will also hear the perspective on how the coronavirus outbreak may impact fund managers and their portfolio companies. Gentlemen, if you are ready, let's begin. Good day, everybody. Welcome to our third episode of our uh, 0100 Conferences 3TS podcast. Today, I had the pleasure of uh, interviewing a good friend, uh, Martin Shellack from Innovation Nest. Um, Innovation Nest is one of the most prolific uh, early stage investors uh, in Poland and in Europe in general. Uh, Martin and I, we have the um, a joyful ride with one of our uh, common portfolio companies in Perfect Gym. Um, and uh, Martin, good to have you with us today. Thanks for taking the time. Yes, thanks. Um, thanks for having me. It's a, it's a pleasure. Um, so, so as a quick intro uh, about myself and the, and the fund. Um, so, I'm I'm one of yes. the partners at the fund. Um, I joined in 2011, um, right at the very beginning uh, when we started with the first fund. Um, my my professional background is is in yeah startups tech uh, originally. Um, which is a bit counterintuitive because I finished um, banking. That's where I, uh, what I majored, and I actually wrote a thesis on venture capital. So that's how I, you know, started to discover this back in 2006 or seven. Uh, so a long time ago, where the European landscape was was quite different. Um, I first worked at a um, company here in Krakow that was building social networking sites. Um, it was pretty popular at the time. It was pre-Facebook, um, so we had no international competition at the time. The company grew to, um, to a scale of uh, what, 67 people, um, and then it got acquired by a media company uh, out of Germany. Um, just right before Facebook started to dominate every single local market when it comes to social networking, so it was perfect timing for us. And that was around 2010, 2011. So that's when I joined uh, Innovation Nest. Um, I knew I wanted to transition to the other side of the table um, because at, um, at, um, at Pixel Adventures, I was um, responsible for, um, that was the name of the company. I was responsible for um, product management, marketing, um, user-generated content, monetization. So pretty much very close to um, the, the center of any, any startup. That time it was on the B2C side, so since we were doing social networking. But um, it's funny enough that, uh, you know, at the time, you know, SaaS was just, just starting, really. Um, so it was 2006, seven, And I remember how many things we've built internally uh, back then for uh, customer support, for example, we built our own internal Zendesk. Um, then uh, for project management, we've also implemented some, some custom things, um, which would be like an Asana today. So I think um, it, it gave me a, a good sort of you know, background in terms of how uh, the internal dynamics of a, of a, of a startup uh, work and, and what is to be expected, especially in the early stages. Um, so when I joined Innovation Nest, um, it was clear for us that, that we want to do P2P. Um, we, we had some occasions where we, we, we looked at B2C um, and we invested in, in one company that is uh, strictly B2C. Um, and, 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 and it was 
quite interesting to see those differences uh, when it comes to the, the, the business models and, and who is the actual end customer. Um, I guess for us being in Poland, um, well, a mid-sized market, I would say, so, so big enough to, to build you know, something on the BDC side, but not enough uh, to build you know, the next Facebook. So I guess you know, B2B was a better approach. And um, in 2011, we, we raised the first fund, which was uh, roughly, I think, I believe, 8 or 10, 10 million euro, 8 million euro, um, with the help of a, of a government fund of funds, which, which basically came with limitations. So we could only invest in Poland. Um, and we, we knew after a year or two that, it didn't make sense. So like, you know, if we, if we want to focus and continue with B2B software as our main investment thesis, we have to raise another fund, which would allow us to invest um, in more markets like geographies. So, so we wanted to invest pan-European. Um, so that's when we, when we started to um, have conversations with EIF, uh, which came on board for the second fund. Um, you know, Fast forwarding to now, uh, we, we are investing from a 40 million uh, seed stage B2B focused fund at the moment. Um, across two funds, we have more than 30 companies, 99% uh, of them B2B software. Um, several of them raised series A's, uh, which is our main goal when we come in. So we come in at seed, try and help companies um, um, to, to formalize uh, processes around sales and marketing, product uh, management, um, you know, help you know, with expansion and hiring, um, everything basically that, that's uh, leading up to Series A in terms of metrics, so that probably getting to somewhere around 100K in MRR, maybe 200K in MRR, depending on the market. Um, now, uh, in the second one, we already have 16 investments and we're looking to make another seven or eight um so so we are pretty advanced um in the second fund and it's really interesting to see how the market has changed in the last you know 10 years and our perspective from um yeah. a, a super local player meaning poland then starting to look around in ce and then having the actual mandate to invest across europe and and having the ability to to look for deals in any kind of you know major hub um, with uh, you know, sometimes more or less success in terms of getting to the, uh, the hardest deals. Um, so so, so I, I think that's pretty much it. We are a team of 12, uh, 12 people based in Krakow. Uh, most of us are former operators, so we don't come from the financial side. We, we come from the business and, and, um, and, um, and product side. Um, yeah, that's pretty much it. Great, great. No, thanks for the background. Really helpful. I think um, as, a, as a good segue, uh, there are a few follow-up questions on what you just described. The first one is, I think um, we have been hearing uh, that the ecosystem in Poland is developing quite nicely. There's more money in the market. There are uh, maybe there's more international interest in the startups uh, coming out of Poland. But what have you seen in terms of some changes in Poland? Uh, do you see more activity uh, locally or do you see more activity from international investors coming to Poland? Um, can you talk about a little bit the investment climate in Poland? And then we can probably switch over to, to the other side of the table and see uh, what's going on in pan-European uh, investment trends and also how Polish entrepreneurs are actually scaling their businesses. But first, let's start with uh, some trends, investment trends in Poland in general. 
Yeah, I think Poland is a is a is a mixed bag. Uh, so on one side, uh, definitely there's a lot going on. Uh, so when you look at both the investment side and the startup side, um, a lot of activity, both local and international. So you know, Warsaw being the main hub in, in Poland is attracting both like investors, international investors, and and also startups that are trying to locate offices there. Um, that's on the surface, like. But if you if you if you look, and then of course there's the the entire government um, um, ecosystem that is trying to get VC off the ground in Poland, and they've been sort of working at it for the last I don't know almost a decade, uh, I would say. So supporting different initiatives to either directly investing into companies or invest into funds uh, through a fund of funds and, and different types of programs. Um, so I think. In terms of money available, um, there's plenty of money. Um, in terms of the stages at which this money is available, um, I think this is, uh, this is a bit mixed. So definitely a lot on, um, on seed. And then if you move up, uh, there's probably less capital available locally. Um, but I think that the main takeaway or the main observation that I have uh, over the last over the last um, uh, over the last uh, few years, is that Poland is is in a way maturing as a as a market. So we are definitely seeing companies like Doc Planner that is able to raise raise more than a hundred million. Um, but then we are seeing a proliferation of very small companies that only do get to to raise once and and never graduate uh, to to any 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 significant funding. So. I think um, if, you, if you look at Poland, you have to understand that on one side, we are still learning. Uh, on the other side, being the biggest market in the region, uh, there's, a, there's a lot of you know, interest from everyone um, uh, from the outside. And, and we are seeing that in, in terms of the, the international funds that we have relationships with. You know, they, they, they ask us about you know, certain deals. We also see um, more international VCs being part of the deals that, are, that do get made uh, in, in, in Poland. Uh, even most recently, you know, there's, uh, there's an actual investment in, in Stony. It's a yeah, French-Polish um, company. Um, 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 so, so, so I think I think um, I think it's 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 uh, it's getting there. Um, I would say the the biggest challenge is to somehow look uh, you know uh, more more like deeper into the the numbers to to draw any conclusions rather than the surface because on the surface like uh, recently there were a couple of different reports that suggested that uh, that the market is booming and and in 2019 I believe the number was that there were 240 rounds raised uh, mm-hmm. based of you know crunch base and room data yeah um, I, I have my reservations in terms of those numbers and I actually did uh, some number crunching um, so if you look uh, in, in, in more detail uh, it, it's not it's not that sort of you know successful um, yet um, so so yeah definitely definitely a lot of interest but we are yet to see how this will actually materialize uh, into more a rounds, B rounds, and 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 hopefully some some large exits uh, in the in the coming years. Got it, got it. And Martin, I mean, in each country in our region, let's say in Central Eastern Europe, and I would include Turkey in this as well, being from Turkey myself, uh, the ecosystems have some components that are better developed than some others. Um, for for instance, 
when you look at the development of other ecosystems, you might say exits actually contribute a lot of growth factors. So mm -hmm. companies who have grown and done good exits, such as Skype in Estonia, Logmin mm -hmm. in Hungary, which we were a lucky investor in, or Yemeksepet in Turkey, those are kind of, I, I call them the Carl Lewis moments, right? Mm -hmm. When people actually see you have, for the first time, somebody can run under 10 seconds and then everybody starts to think that they can run under 10 seconds, which is a great thing. But mm -hmm. when you look at Poland in terms of components that help contribute to the development of the ecosystem, do you think it is exits or lack, lack of big exits? Or do you think it's lack of private money uh, that goes into uh, our asset class that is kind of prohibiting or slowing down the growth? Because I think... We are seeing more deals, as you said, it's increasing, but maybe not as prolific as some reports indicate. But what is the missing link, in your opinion, uh, that will unleash the full potential of the ecosystem? Yeah, I guess on, on, on one side, it's, um, it's time. So if, if, you, if you think about the development of the, of the ecosystem here in, in Poland, right? Um, after the EU accession, so it was 2004, uh, we had the first... Uh, real programs like government-backed programs to um, somehow boost uh, like digital entrepreneurship. And, and, and there were like a couple of them, I think somewhat like um, 3,000 or 4,000 companies or projects got funded. Uh, and it was a very simple grant scheme where you would get two, up to 200,000 euro to start a company in the digital space. Uh, most of them, as you can imagine, failed. Uh, so nothing really came out of it. But there, were, there, were, there, were, there was a lot of learning, I think. So out of those first programs, um, there was uh, probably some people that, there were some people that, that, that had the opportunity to test uh, what it is actually to build something. Most of them were building local things. So uh, like B2C or B2B, but, but local for the, for the Polish market. Then the second phase, right? So the government uh, or agencies got smarter and they said, okay, we're not going to do uh, direct investments uh, through grant systems or programs. We're going to back uh, incubators or like small seed funds uh, and have professional managers to invest the money directly into companies uh, for, for equity. Um, so there's a program called 3.1, um, which I don't know, saw 20 or so um, incubators slash like seed funds uh, being established. Um, I guess it was better already because it was somehow more professionalized, uh, but still it was uh, around, I think, 2007, 8, uh, sort of that, that time frame. Um, nothing major came out of it, uh, but uh, more people got to experience, okay, now, now it's, it's a bit harder because I raise equity, not a grant, and it comes with some strings attached. So, so how do I form the company, cap table, whatever. Um, then there was um, the first fund of funds, uh, KFK, uh, which was the, the third sort of um, wave. Um, and um, I believe it was like 600 million uh, that was invested into funds uh, that would invest across yeah, seed, and I would say even Series A back then, what would be considered as a Series A. Um, and I think this this was a pivotal moment. So, so I think that the people that the the the, G, um, 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 the, the, the GPs that, that that did launch those funds with with KFK, um, they they were the driving force to to see some some company like real companies emerge out of the ecosystem. Um, and I think what what's happening right now. Um, of course, we, we don't have any, any UI paths in, in Poland yet. Um, but if you look at, you know, uh, I, I'm, I'm mostly B2B, right? But, but if you look across other yeah. spectrums, so like gaming, 
And we have CD Project, which is a few billion dollar company uh, listed on the on the Warsaw Stock Exchange, right? Yeah, and waiting uh, for their next game. <laughs> Very excited. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Um, and they're building building a franchise around with the, the Witcher, so so with the Netflix um, um, series and so forth. But again, like if you look at the different parts, I think they are coming coming together. So without even those those huge exits yet, I think you know maybe Doc Planners on the way to to IPO. And this will be the, the first billion plus uh, uh, success story. And it's like, you know, 10 or more years in the making. So if you, if you look at the founding team, so Mariusz Grajewski, he uh, previously started Golden Line, which was like the, the LinkedIn of, of Poland, which, which he sold to, to one of the media companies uh, back in, I don't know, was a few years ago. And then he started uh, Doc Planner. So, so it's, it's a long ramp, uh, slow ramp of death, you might say, yeah. uh, for, those, uh, for those companies to, to, to mature, but we are slowly getting there. But I would, I would argue that it's not going to change anything dramatically. Like even if we, if we do get those few exits, right? Because what I think, you know, uh, is in the heads of, of Polish entrepreneurs is that um, th they can, they can do whatever they want, right? So they can uh, build uh, connections to London, Berlin or Paris-based VCs. They can uh, go to the US. So like the, there's like, if you look at, uh, graduates from from YC tech stars, 500 startups, Alchemist, um, Seed Camp in, in Europe. We have those examples. We have we have we have those people who went through those accelerators, right? So so I think there is there's there's no physical uh, limit to to what you know Polish entrepreneurs can do, and I think it applies for the region as well. Um, I think now it's it's mostly about the the ambition level, right? And this is something that has to do with the, the overall um, uh, economic development, right? So like if you look at Poland, it's been growing uh, pretty steadily for the last you know, 20, 30 years, right? Uh, so it was in, in one of the, um, in the highest tiers when it comes to uh, GDP growth, right? Over these two, three decades. So if you look at the, the economic aspect of it, right? Uh, we have rising wages, we have more and more capital available. Uh, we have more stability in terms of the marketplace. I think those are the factors that 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 maybe somehow limit the number of 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 really uh, uh, crazy ideas and and and, um, and and startups because people choose a different path, right? So if if you look at the especially in, in IT, if you look at the the salaries uh, that do get offered to to engineers by international corporations that are setting up shops in, in, in Poland across the different cities. You know, maybe for them, it's the opportunity cost is just too high at the moment, right? So they, they want to buy you know, their first home, they want to buy some, some cars, they want to travel, I don't know. And maybe, you know, it's, it's just, you know, five years away, 10 years away, when they will satisfy their those basic needs and then they will be able to take more risk, right? And if you, and I think it's all about this risk-taking element, and then the safety net that, that that is offered by the ecosystem, right? So you know that you can fail, and and nothing major happens, right? So uh, will happen. So 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 then you can risk more, and then you go for the really outlier sort of ideas, and, and maybe you know if it works, then then we will see more exits. So I think that's 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 where we are headed. Um, and, and I think there, there is initial data that is somehow supporting all of this, right? So if you look at uh, how many international VCs have invested in Poland over the last, you know, three, four years, the number is growing. Like right? if you look at 
the, the, the appetite of some founders in terms of where they want to raise money, like Polish founders, they have no problem whatsoever to travel across Europe uh, to fundraise. Um, and I think that th this is gradually, you know, accelerating, right? Um, I think um, no one can really time it. Uh, so when is going, like, where's, where's the inflection point? Like where we're going to see that this will explode. Um, but it's definitely going to happen. One thing just to keep in mind also, um, when we discuss, you know, certain geographies or countries, right? Um, it always has to be put into, into context and perspective of the entire uh, global and then European market, right? So I think there, there was a narrative for many years that, okay, maybe there's going to be another Silicon Valley somewhere, right? Uh, and people were trying to, to build that. I don't think that's going to be the case. Uh, so I think when you look at Europe, we're going we're probably headed towards a very distributed ecosystem of innovation and, and startups and, and investing, right? So it's, of course, you no know, tier one cities like London, Berlin, and Paris, but there's like tier two, tier three cities where you still find great companies, you know, investors and the ecosystem, local ecosystems, but they're just not that dense, right? So it's like a pyramid effect. But, uh, but I think th this is where we will see. So um, I would be super surprised that we're going to see, you know, um, more cities be like London in terms of how much capital is invested and then the exit um, uh, potential. I think th those are naturally capped, right, in some way. But, but definitely we will get to a level where there are companies that exited from, from that particular country and there are multiple uh, of, of those. Uh, we will see people reinvesting into the ecosystem. So basically the, the founders and maybe some C-level executives that held ESOP shares, they will come back to the market and, and try to fund um, like early stage deals, uh, maybe pre-seed. Then we will have more people that went through the um, growth story themselves. So basically the, they, they were part of a company that, that you know, got really successful and they know how it feels and, and, and they've learned a lot, right? So I think this, this will happen pan-European and, and, and there are several cities uh, where, where I see this happening at the moment. Got it. Oh, excellent points. Um, a few things intrigued me uh, in your answer. Um, the first one is actually about the psyche of the Polish entrepreneur, your you know, mm -hmm. um, technology startup guy in Poland. Uh, you, you touched upon this ambition component. And as a growth stage investor, which we typically invest after you know, uh, the company scales up a little bit, uh, for example, in, in Perfect Jim's case, uh, we, we were the uh, later stage investor after you guys. Mm -hmm. And we have, you know, looked at deals where entrepreneurs are actually also considering some type of liquidity event before mm -hmm. exit, where they mm -hmm. would like to have a little bit more comfort and security before they mm -hmm. really push the pedal to the metal and start growing globally or regionally. Mm -hmm. So I want to pick up on that and then we can switch gears to talk about the European um, trends a little bit. But do you think, uh, it doesn't have to be something related to Polish founders because you are dealing with uh, different nationalities and different markets. Mm -hmm. Do you think founders, when they get a little bit of liquidity early on, whether it's a small, you know, secondary in a growth stage round, do they become a little bit more ambitious and more bold in their strategies and growth uh, mm -hmm. ambitions? Do you find that there's some data on that or consistency? <clears throat> Yeah, I, I don't have any, any concrete data on it, but, but it feels very intuitive. So 
um, even in our term sheets, we always leave a little bit of room for the, for the founders to do secondary. So I basically sell some of their shares along the way. Uh, it's, it's typically somewhere around 10% of their holding. So I think what it creates, like if you're building a company uh, over multiple years, right? Um, and let's assume we are only focusing on the ones that actually scale, right? Um, so you are, you're, you are you know, starting with your seed, maybe then, then there's a second seed or, or you raise some, some more money to get the Series A, then you raise the Series A, B and, and so forth. Like waiting for 10 or 15 years to exit, right, uh, uh, is, is, is challenging if, 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 if you are not able to take any, anything off the table, like in between, right? Um, so definitely founders should still stay very motivated in terms of how much they own in equity, right? And, and wait for that final exit. But if you, if you have never had an exit before, and this is your like first thing, first real professional thing that you are doing, probably you don't have that, mu that much capital, right? So you want to buy a house or you, you have to buy a house because if, I don't know, you have a family now, whatever, right? And when we talk about people who are starting those companies in their you know, late 20s, maybe early 30s, and, and by the time they're almost 40, right? Uh, it's, it's, it's a long time. So, so I, I, I'm, I'm all for it. Like, I think that if it's going according, right, to, 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 the require, um, to, to, to the plan, right, in terms of scaling the company, uh, you should be able to um, get a little bit of liquidity. And also that, that, that sometimes fall in play, falls in place with uh, uh, the investors wanting to buy secondary shares because they want to extend their, their, their ownership, right? Um, so it's perfectly aligned. And, and I think then, to your point, if, if you satisfied your basic needs, then you can, I think, focus even more on this, this end goal, right? And, and, and I think it, it gives you more comfort uh, in, in terms of the decisions that you might make. And, and some of them might be very, very tough. And, and I think it, it cr creates a different momentum for the founders that do get to get that uh, yeah. little bit of liquidity. And this was the case in Perfect Gym, by the way, right? So, so there's, there was a little bit of a, uh, liquidity given to, to the founding team uh, when one of the investors joined the company. So, so I think, yes. Definitely. So let's switch gears and zoom out of Poland for a moment. And mm -hmm. there has been a lot of uh, uh, news discussions, blog posts, tweets uh, about uh, US VCs coming to Europe uh, stronger with uh, bigger you know, uh, funds and uh, bigger focus and uh, larger teams. Um, since you're investing across Europe um, in, in many different markets, um, have you seen this trend in practical daily work? Have you seen uh, more competition, or have you seen prices going up, or have you seen rounds becoming larger already? Uh, or what's happening in, in the early stage tech investment scene in Europe? And um, do we see more co-investments with the uh, US funds, which is a trend, I believe? Uh, or do we see less co-investment with them because some European funds are actually also raising larger ones, you know, uh, targeting the same um, same target. Uh, so what are your thoughts on that in general, uh, what's happening in Europe in the early stage tech investment scene? The, the, the scene is definitely changing, right? Um, and it's, it's changing on multiple levels. So uh, again, touching a bit on, on history. So, so when, we, when we started uh, to invest outside of Poland, I think it was uh, around 2000, 13, 14, maybe we had a uh, we had a fund in between funds. It was a uh, small um, SPV, um, and then we we, we started traveling um, across the different cities, right? So 
bit more to the east or, or west of, of Poland. And back then, I have to say that in most uh, cities that we visited, um, there were no investors, right? Or there were like mostly angels or like very small vehicles, right, to invest locally. Um, if you fast forward to now, I think in most cities, European cities above, I don't know, 500,000 uh, people, um, you have several investors. You have uh, companies that raised money from notable investors. So I think those, those ecosystems matured, right? And basically what it uh, created um, is cre it has created more competition, right? So it's not that easy to make uh, deals outside of your prime location uh, these days because there are great investors there. Plus um, investors have, I think, I believe that's what I experienced. I think investors have become more mobile right, in that way. So they, they are not afraid to um, travel across different countries, different cities to look at early stage deals which wasn't the case originally, I think. So originally, you know, uh, and funds that were mostly based in, in London, uh, they would be active at Series A because, you know, for example, SeedCamp was, was the seed vehicle that would go across Europe. And I remember in, in, the, in the early days, they were, they were hosting those, those events to source local deals, right? Um, today, uh, we come across you know, funds uh, that would be considered, you know, typically Series A and, and doing deals in London, that they, they, they are in Copenhagen, they're in Barcelona, they're in Lisbon, uh, they're in Warsaw, they're in Budapest. And, and I think this creates more competition. If there's more competition, uh, founders are taking advantage of it, at least the founders that, uh, that are doing very well. So, so the, 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 there's price inflation. Um, so, 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 I, I see a change coming. Uh, you mm -hmm. mentioned the, the US uh, investors announcing that they were, they were somehow focused more on, on Europe. I guess it's the same as with US companies uh, expanding to Europe. What it actually means is that they're setting up an office in London. Uh, and then they, they look what, at, at the UK and then maybe somewhere in terms of continental Europe, right? Um, I think we are still years ahead, uh, you know, away in terms of, you know, US-based funds investing in seed stage deals outside of you know, London. Um, I would be super surprised uh, to see some of the brand name investors um, from the US do a deal in, I don't know, Krakow uh, at, at seed. Um, uh, that would be somehow counterintuitive. Uh, it might happen. Um, I don't know if it's, if it's an, a serial entrepreneur that, that, that has that kind of network and and, and basically he knows those people and, and they, they believe in him and it's a, it's a founder sort of uh, bet. Uh, but outside of that, I think, I think it, we, we are definitely not, not there yet. And then you also have to consider, as a founder at least, you have to consider the, the, the dynamics behind such deals, right? So if, if we have um, later stage funds investing at seed, um, they are managing funds that are much greater in, in assets under management than the seed guys. So if they're doing a 1 million ticket out of a 700 million fund, right? And you are the, I don't know, 56th com company in their portfolio, right? Um, I don't think you're, you're going to get that much attention um, if, if you if you are at, at seed. Uh, so they are basically preempting, you know, their chance to do, the Series A, right, or the Series B. Um, 
And you have to be really careful, like who do you go with uh, in, in those early days? Because I've seen cases people raised from very good later stage funds at seed, but as soon as things started going a bit south, right? Uh, they they had you know difficulties of raising the the bridge round and then you know all all things concerned with liquidation preferences of investors that were coming in later. I I think you have to be cautious uh, around that on both sides. Um, but um, but you know I also have this discussion with um, with, with our partners at EIF uh, since EIF is invested in so many funds across um, uh, Europe. I think one, one thing can be said with a high degree of certainty is that seed as a stage is dynamically changing uh, in its nature. So what I mean by, by that is when you look at um, how much it takes to close a deal, like a competitive deal, uh, maybe it used to be you know, uh, months, uh, uh, several years ago, then maybe two years ago, it was like several weeks. Now I hear stories that uh, seed deals, like competitive seed deals, get done within a few days, right? So you have to ask yourself a question, what kind of due diligence can be done in two or three days? Uh, what is the actual bet being made uh, at, 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 at that pace? And I don't know, maybe this is the new norm, or maybe this is the anomaly because yeah. we have so much capital available and everyone wants to be very early at the very best deal right um so 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 yeah, yeah. um definitely i think very, yeah i just just wanted to say that, that, that we should be careful we should observe what's going to happen uh, on a macro level um but but i think it it's somehow it it feels unnatural right i think those the, those stages should be separate and there should be seat focused investors that really do work with the companies uh, that they do invest in at, at that stage and then there should be a graduation to series a and the later stage funds yeah well i think it's interesting because there was a discussion about global minimum income at some point um and some countries are trying to advocate this and make it a, a plan uh, in, in their you know 10 year 20 year outlook for their own uh, economies but there's always the uh, the joke about uh, global minimum seed funding round, right? Because <laughs> everybody can get this uh, small amount of money um, as a as a given, and then uh, the money is commoditized, and you see what you can do with it. But I think the money component is making maybe becoming less important. But uh, being able to navigate uh, requires a lot of experience, and you just touched upon that point. I think that that's the key differentiating factor between fund managers who can actually deploy fast, but deploy with experience and guidance, right? Instead of just uh, providing money and managing um, uh, large portfolios and trying to see uh, uh, kind of like a statistical investment thesis versus, you know, mm -hmm. thick value-based investment thesis. So I think it's interesting. Um, at our level also, we see some uh, increasing trends in Central Eastern Europe, in Germanic region, uh, in different mm -hmm. pockets in Europe. Uh, but I think, as you said, seed is more active, more dynamic. Uh, there's more attention there. Um, so you see I think, Elbrus, I, think that, I, I, th I think there's one metric that you can look at. Um, so how does the graduation rate between seed and series A change over time, right? If, yes. if you look at the expanding exactly. seed, right? If it's going up, then uh, I think it's correlated and, and then, then everything's fine. If it stays the same, so basically we are having more capital invested at seed, uh, more deals get financed but but the the the, the graduation rate 
it's, it's still the same or it's, it's dropping, right? Um, yeah, yeah, and that, that yeah. would suggest that the number of great companies is somehow limited in the ecosystem. It's, it's fairly, at a fairly constant state, right? Of course, um, of course. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe this is a good um, segue to discuss what's going on in our daily lives today. Um, mm -hmm. uh, the, the impact of Corona. I mean, Sequoia just came up with this uh, uh, post about, you know, the Black Swan of 2020. Uh, everybody's referring to this as the, uh, the, the famous post about RIP, you know, good times back mm -hmm. in the dot-com bubble days or yep. uh, crisis days. So I think as, as a fund manager, you know, you're dealing with a bunch of portfolio companies in different geographies, Sequoias and other guys who have global uh, operations, they see a, a different, you know, picture maybe in China, especially mm -hmm. in the uh, APAC region and US. But what do you think this is this thing is going to do to us as fund managers as you know ceos for portfolio companies mm -hmm. what uh, do you are you going to be closing less deals this year because you're traveling maybe less or do you think if your fundraising as an entrepreneur is going to be a challenging year or you might still get it done through mm -hmm. zoom which we are using today <laughs> um what are your thoughts about that because we are constantly getting data every day on twitter on linkedin on news it's just very difficult to <clears> separate <throat> the noise from the truth Mm -hmm. Yes, it's a dangerous situation. Uh, stock markets are uh, reacting on a daily basis, up and down. Everybody's uncertain. But what are your thoughts about this? Uh, this I think that's the virus issue. Edwards, I think that's the main point. It, it's the uncertainty, right? So if we knew uh, how to handle the, the, the situation, the virus, like can it be contained, when it could be contained and, and, and so forth, I think things wouldn't be as bad. Um, now I think everyone is speculating uh, uh, what's, what's going to be the, the actual impact and how severe it's going to be globally, right? So, so I think the uncertainty is, is the element uh, to, to keep in mind. And from a more practical, pragmatic uh, uh, perspective, so we have one company in the portfolio uh, that is in the travel space. So in January, they, they haven't really seen um, the impact on, on, on GMV. But in February, uh, it was like 40% lower, right? Uh, so Because of so cancellations I, probably, right? Mm, yeah. Definitely. Um, so, so I think, and if you look at the, the, the price of, of Subray holdings, right, on, on, on the stock exchange, they've, they've gone from a 6 billion, I think, uh, market cap to about 3 billion in, in less than a week, right? And then Saber is doing software for the, for the airline industry, right? Global airline industry. So I think, I think this is something that no one expected, right? Um, especially if you keep in mind that, you know, we, we are coming off, I don't know, 10-year expansion, economic expansion. Um, so, so there were talks about, you know, maybe this 2020 is going to be the, 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 when the recession kicks in and so forth. And, and now with the coronavirus, I think it just you know, blew up the level of uncertainty, what's going to happen. So yeah. uh, what it means for us, um, definitely uh, we're going to travel less over the next few months, uh, simply because of the fact that most conferences that we're planning to visit uh, are being canceled or postponed. Um, second, the impact on portfolio company uh, companies forecasts. I think it's safe to say if you were relying on some sort of GMV-based model, um, uh, it, it, it will probably impact it because people will, will be hesitating to make decisions, like buying decisions. Um, if your business uh, in terms of B2B was relying on 
um, on inside sales and some some structured sales process. Probably some companies uh, will will stop, you know, making large investments, um, or they will probably take more time to to close those uh, those deals. So overall, I think 2020 will be challenging on on the revenue side, on the fundraising side, um, and if that's the case, then maybe maybe everyone is going to uh, basically postpone most of the decisions around um, um, uh, trying to close more deals, right, on our side of the table. Um, for us, yeah. what it means, we, we are in year three of the new fund. We have two years left in terms of the deploying the, the, the initial investments. Um, it might be challenging if we are not able to, to make any good deals this year, right, uh, because of this, this, this coronavirus mess. Um, Hopefully, yes, we, we live in a digital world. We, we can use Zoom. So, so I think if the fundamentals are, haven't changed, we can, we can still uh, continue operating. Um, the only thing that I would worry about is when will we actually come to a point uh, this year where we know what is the actual impact and how to sort of you know, plan uh, uh, accordingly. Um, if it's going to take, you know, still several months to figure it out, like the spread of the virus and what is the actual impact, I think the entire EU might be, might be very challenging. I feel the same way. I think um, not knowing the, you know, the uh, science part of it, uh, it looks like uh, there's a little bit of a media frenzy around the topic um, uh, and many of the um, stock market reports, which are yet to come and know this quarter will probably show that sales was uh, very slow. They will probably miss their uh, targets and there might be a second impact uh, in the public markets. Um, and we are observing these markets because of the multiples that uh, many technology companies are trading at. But mm -hmm. my personal take is that this is gonna let enough air out of the balloon. It's not gonna completely crash it. It's just gonna normalize it a little bit. And that's, uh, again, my optimism, but let's see <laughs> what happens. Uh, we are also traveling less uh, within Europe. It seem, seems not that problematic, but events are getting canceled or postponed. So uh, we'll see. Uh, but I think uh, if you're an entrepreneur or fund manager, uh, you just pay attention to the fundamentals, make sure that you have enough runway, enough time uh, to turn around things if things continue this way. And then also um, try to close as many deals as possible in terms of sales or rounds or LPs, right? So that is uh, that is the hustle part of the industry that I love and uh, that never just goes away. But um, maybe Marcin, to finish up with, um, at the beginning you mentioned that you still have you're still looking for new deals. So maybe uh, for our audience you can tell an ideal deal. What are you looking for? What's your investment criteria? And then also if you can. Um, give us a, a little bit of a tips about, because I know you do a lot of reading and writing uh, and you collect a lot of data on especially SaaS companies. Uh, what are some go-to resources for you in terms of uh, data, news, or uh, mm -hmm. even books and advice? So <clears throat> maybe we can wrap up with those two components. Okay. Um, so when it, when it comes to um, our sweet spot, what we actually look for. So number one, uh, we look for, for, for software that can really change uh, big markets, right? So, so I think what's happening across the, um, across the spectrum of B2B software is that we are seeing more and more fragmentation. Um, so 
on one side we have thousands of new software companies, right? But then the potential of those companies is somehow limited because the, the, the founders are going for niche markets, right? Um, and there's nothing wrong with that because software in, in some niche markets uh, needs to be built. But I think it's, it's challenging uh, the, the traditional sort of VC model. So like if you expect uh, that a seed deal can go 100x uh, in terms of uh, the, the actual value created over time, um, I think in some, some, some cases, it might be not possible from, from the pure definition of what the market is uh, for that given software. So we are trying to assess now uh, what are the, the big markets that are left uh, where software needs to be somehow uh, modernized. And that means, you know, cloud-based uh, um, subscription model. Um, outside of that, we, we are looking on the, like what's going to be the impact of uh, data and machine learning in terms of what, what software will look like, uh, the software of the future will look like, and, and which, which software categories can be disrupted through that model. Um, in terms of the, 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 the parameters uh, or the, the key metrics that we look at, at, at these uh, C-Search deals, uh, yes, we would like to see a, a product that has some customer traction uh, so that we can we can see the engagement numbers, we can talk to those customers whether the, the, the product is really delivering on value. Um, when it comes to monetary terms, uh, it could be you know 10k in MRR, it could be 50k in MRR. I think it's just an indicator whether the team is actually executing or not. It's it's not a prerequisite for the investment. Um, in terms of uh, areas that we think uh, or we we, we like. Um, Anything that, that, that uses the, the data element to build uh, sensibility of, of the product. Um, we also like verticalized software, so going after uh, specific industries and building like systems of record or intelligence uh, in those respective spaces. Um, we like small and efficient teams, um, so we, we think that with this uh, um, explosion of capital uh, at seed. Um, some some founding teams uh, think that that they, they should spend uh, faster and more. I think um, this might this might be challenging in in the future. I think the teams that are super efficient, super super small, and they can deliver like great results are the are the best ones to focus on. Um, when it, when when it comes to the the, the sources uh, which I use for research um, and how we basically do our our sourcing at, at the fund, um, I think it doesn't come as a surprise that most of the deals that we do make uh, come from from the network. Uh, so there is some network component to to the origination of the deal. Um, but outside of that, we are very active in terms of our own research. So we. We do like research projects, uh, meaning that we identify a certain space, and then we uh, we try to educate ourselves on on the market, uh, try to uh, locate companies building for that space, and then we do a, a reach out uh, to to those companies. Typically, it's a it's a group of 20, 30 companies that we are able to talk to uh, to get a sense like what what people are building, what do they think about the market, what is the approach, and. Surprisingly, uh, if, if you talk to 20 companies in a given space, uh, all of them will, set, ha, will have slightly different approach to the market. Um, so, so it's a very useful um, um, activity. Um, outside of that, when, when it comes to educating, educating myself on, on certain trends or topics, um, I'm, um, 
I, I'm a huge fan of Twitter um, as, as the source of, of, of inspiration. Um, so if you follow the, the right people or you build your stream in a way that you get a full coverage of the market, I think there's a, there's a ton of links that you can follow and, and get to some uh, non-obvious sources um, uh, because, you know, it's a crowdsourced uh, um, uh, thing. Um, outside of that, uh, when it comes to some, some books, um, I'm, I'm, I'm currently uh, reading uh, two books, which I could recommend. Um, so one is, um, is a new book by uh, David Epstein. Uh, it's called Range uh, and basically talks about the difference between a, a specialist and a generalist. Um, and, and it talks about the different approaches people take and, and which ones lead to success. Um, I've also revisited uh, the book by, by Carlotta Perez on techn technological revolutions and financial capital. Um, I wanted to, to revisit that book to, to sort of strengthen my, my thesis on how markets get built and then uh, what are the different phases that those, those markets go through. Um, it's a great general sort of book to, to read. Um, and then, you know, the third book that I'm, that I'm currently reading um, is, is called uh, No Logo. Um, it's, it's a book by Naomi Klein. Uh, and this book is interesting from, from, from the brand, uh, branding or brand perspective. Uh, it talks about several topics uh, in, in the consumer space uh, mostly, um, but, it, but it gives you a good sort of um, understanding of, of what is the, the actual dynamic be behind you know, creating a brand and, and developing that brand. And I think especially in B2B software, it's, it's becoming important because if you think about what are the, the actual differentiators for software, right? If you have a, a specific software category and you have 50 companies building something more or less identical, right? Uh, the only real differentiator I'm starting to see uh, is, is the brand, right? So if you look at email marketing tools, they, there might be a hundred different ones which do basically the same job, but there will be only a few that are actually having some some characteristics of a brand um, and i think this is this is uh, this is going to be very important to uh, implement in your strategy so how do you build a brand for a very software business um yeah so so that's that's pretty much pretty much it I'm, no, great. I'm, I'm, yeah thank you thank you for those tips and uh, we are almost out of time but uh, this was a pleasure i know we can go on for a couple more hours but maybe we'll <laughs> do another episode in the coming weeks months uh, yeah. Martin, thank you so much for your time and all the insights Thanks, uh, that you shared. Excellent. Thank you, guys. Cheers. So today we had uh, Martin Shellac from Innovation Nest with us. He shared his insights about the Polish ecosystem, uh, European uh, seed stage and early stage technology investment trends. And we also talked about the daily topic of coronavirus, unfortunately. Um, thank you for listening. Uh, we look forward to our next episode in a few weeks. Um, and have a great week.